0: They carry AAPI owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com.
1: It's Monday, March 21st. I'm Travell Anderson.
0: And I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And this is What a Day, where we are sheltering in place to avoid catching March Madness. I heard it's
1: like flu like symptoms,
0: you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's 28 days of that, (laughs) many, multiple times a day. It's just a nightmare.
1: On today's show, a preview of the confirmation hearings for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Plus, the SEC is expected to announce climate risk disclosure rules for companies.
0: But first, an update on the Russia-Ukraine war, as of our recording yesterday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern.
1: Yeah, so the violence and destruction in Ukraine continues. Russia's defense ministry said Saturday that it had destroyed an underground storage site in the Ivano-Frankivsk region of Ukraine that was holding aviation ammunition and some missiles. They say they used a hypersonic missile, which flies at five times the speed of sound and is almost impossible to detect by current air defense systems. While both Ukrainian officials and the Pentagon have yet to verify this claim, experts say if it's true, this would signal an escalation on Russia's part, and it could also be the first time this kind of weapon has been used in combat. Also hit by a Russian missile strike was the city of Lviv, which is just 50 miles from the border of NATO member Poland that happened on Friday. This is of note because the city had become a safe haven of sorts for many Ukrainians who fled their homes. We spoke to BuzzFeed journalist Christopher Miller last week, who is in Lviv, and he said really no one feels safe anywhere in Ukraine anymore. According to the UN, roughly 25% of the Ukrainian population has been displaced thus far, or 10 million people. Lviv also has served as a hub for the inflow of humanitarian aid, and reports say Friday's strike may have been an attempt to target the capabilities of Ukraine's Air Force as it hit an aircraft repair plant at the city's airport complex.
0: That is all very sad and very terrifying, especially those hypersonic missiles. So what is the latest update on Mariupol, which Russia has had under siege for weeks now, really?
1: Yeah, so authorities said Sunday that Russian forces in Mariupol had bombed an art school where 400 people had taken shelter. There is no word yet on the number of folks wounded or killed, but over 80% of the city is damaged and there are concerns that it could soon fall to Russian forces. Also, rescuers are still working to pull survivors from the rubble of a theater-turned-shelter that was leveled by Russian missiles last week. Russia's defense ministry said Friday they were, quote, tightening the noose around Mariupol, which is very specific choice of words, if you ask me.
0: You really don't want to ever use those words, is what I would say. I mean... I don't love it.
1: Then the following day, the Mariupol City Council said several thousands of their residents were taken to camps where Russian forces checked their phones and documents and sent them to remote cities in Russia. So they're forcing people to go to Russia. And then on Sunday, Russia gave Ukraine a 5 a.m. Deadline to surrender the city, after which it said it would let the 130,000 remaining civilians leave.
0: Wow. We have seen Ukraine's president Volodymyr Zelensky appealing to lawmakers in different countries basically to get as much support as possible. So what's the latest there?
1: Yeah, so Zelensky has spoken directly to the legislatures of the U.S., Britain, Canada, and Germany. He's still beating the drum for a no-fly zone as Russian air forces continue to decimate the country's biggest cities. But there's been no movement on that as of yet. Zelensky spoke with Israel's parliament yesterday and has plans to speak to Japan's lawmakers this week. The speech to Japan would be his first address to an Asian legislative body. This comes after Japan, which had already suspended trade with Russia and frozen the assets of oligarchs with ties to Putin, imposed sanctions on an additional 15 individuals and nine organizations from Russia last week.
0: Where do negotiations or quote unquote negotiations between Russia and Ukraine stand at the moment?
1: So the negotiations with Russia have continued though Russia is blaming Ukraine for the lack of any meaningful progress. Mm. Putin said in a phone call with Chancellor Olaf Scholz of Germany that Ukraine was trying to quote drag the negotiations by making a series of new unrealistic proposals. This is based on a Kremlin readout of said call according to the New York Times, that readout also suggested that Putin had expressed a willingness by Russia to find solutions, quote, within the limits of its well-known principal approaches, whatever that means. And also, just an FYI, President Joe Biden is traveling to Brussels this week for both a summit with NATO leaders and the European Council summit, where the war will be a main topic of discussion.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, feels pretty rich for Russia to say that Ukraine's making new unrealistic proposals when Ukraine's proposal is, please just leave our country. Feels pretty reasonable to me. Simple things, right? Thanks for that, Travelle. So now for some Supreme Court nominee news. This week begins confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown Jackson. If confirmed, Judge Jackson would be the first black woman to sit on the Supreme Court. And she would also be joining the most conservative reactionary court in decades, probably in our lifetime.
1: Yeah. So tell us, what can we expect to see during these hearings?
0: Well, Terrell Brown Jackson is an extremely qualified nominee with a long history of being a fair judge and a brilliant legal mind. And Republicans, for what it's worth, have claimed that they are going to treat Judge Jackson fairly. She even met with some of them in the past few weeks. But, you know, conservatives will retain a 6-3 majority in the court even if she is confirmed. So you'd kind of expect that they wouldn't fight her nomination in the same way that they would if the majority were at risk. And yet... Somehow, for some reason, I just don't believe we're going to get through these hearings without misleading and below-the-belt attacks from Republicans. After all, we're already seeing pretty strong hints of the attacks that are likely to come up in the next couple weeks.
1: Definitely. So walk us through the main arguments Republicans are already making to oppose Brown Jackson's nomination.
0: Yeah. So the first thing Republicans are doing is trying to make her seem biased in favor of Liberals. Right now, the website for the Republican National Committee is describing her as a, quote, radical left-wing activist and a, quote, rubber stamp for Biden's agenda. You know, okay. to make this (laughs) argument, conservatives are pointing to the fact that Brown Jackson was first nominated to the bench by President Obama and then Biden nominated her to the Court of Appeals before nominating her to the Supreme Court. So she was nominated by Democrats and she also apparently donated to Obama's campaign in 2008, which was before she was a sitting judge. So this is some really hypocritical posturing by the Republicans. I mean, after all, at this point, we know that every judge has political leanings and opinions. And if Judge Jackson's lean more left than, say, Judge Gorsuch, that's not a surprise, nor is it disqualifying. Plus, the Republicans on the court are often blatantly partisan, right? I mean, already this term, they've rejected years of precedence to champion their own partisan views, namely on abortion. Mm-hmm. And as far as political affiliations go, Clarence Thomas's own wife, Jenny Thomas, is what can only be described as radically right-wing. She's made public her opinions on a range of issues, including issues that were before the court. And last week, she admitted that she actually attended the January 6th rally. Mm-hmm. So the idea that a political donation 14 years ago is too much for the Republicans to handle— is infuriating, but also laughable.
1: It is definitely, definitely absurd, but that's what they do. That's Mm -hmm. what they do. It's true. What else are Republicans doing to make Jackson seem too problematic for the court?
0: So they're using a couple things about her history to try to smear her as, quote, soft on crime. And first, they're claiming that her history as a public defender makes her a problematic candidate. So if confirmed, she would be the first public defender to serve on the Supreme Court, Compare that to the fact that at this moment, seven of the current nine members of the Supreme Court have experience as prosecutors. Seven out of nine. That's an enormous number. And that's just Mm. current justices, much less justices throughout history. But, of course, the senators are going to try to make this into a big deal and pretend that she doesn't care about the law because she defended people who had been accused of crimes. Mitch McConnell, who has admitted Brown Jackson is, quote, highly likely to be confirmed, has also said that, Quote, her supporters look at her resume and deduce a special empathy for criminals. <laughs> <sighs> Republicans have already made a big deal out of the fact that Jackson represented detainees at Guantanamo Bay and others. Travel, it's truly hard for me to even talk about this without losing my mind because it's so absurd and By the way, these attacks are coming from a group of people who have defended the Capitol insurrectionists. Of course. Right. But as I wrote in Balls and Strikes a few weeks ago, uh, Brown Jackson's history as a public defender is what makes her nomination so important, right? Working as a public defender means standing between one individual and the most powerful body— In the country, if not the world, the U.S. government, the fact that Republicans are going to use that history to smear her is offensive. And it's not just offensive to her, but it's offensive to the entire profession.
1: For sure. And beyond her record as a public defender, what else are they going to use to try to paint her as soft on crime?
0: Well, one of our most rabidly conservative senators, who is also easily the least charismatic, Josh Hawley, has already (laughs) thrown out some extremely incendiary accusations trying to make it seem like Judge Jackson has gone easy on sex offenders. So he tweeted that he's concerned that she has a, quote, record that endangers our children because she sometimes didn't follow federal sentencing guidelines when sentencing people for possession of child pornography. But what Holly doesn't mention is that her record on this issue is decidedly mainstream, much of the federal judiciary on both sides, about 70 percent of the judiciary, find the guidelines on this issue to be severe. And in two out of three cases, federal judges sentence below the guidelines. So, you know, she's squarely in the middle of what judges are doing across the board. In fact, in many of the cases that Brown-Jackson handled specifically, even the prosecution wanted a sentence below the guidelines. Mm. So Holly and others are going to use this to indicate that she's soft on crime For what it's worth, Democrats, including Judiciary Committee Chair Senator Durbin, have already pushed back on some of this. Here he is on ABC's This Week, responding to Hawley.
1: As far as Senator Hawley is concerned, here's the bottom line. He's wrong. He's inaccurate and unfair in his analysis. Judge Jackson has been scrutinized more than any person I can think of. This is her fourth time before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and three previous times uh, she came through with flying colors and bipartisan support.
0: At the end of the day, I expect and deeply hope that Brown Jackson will get confirmed to the court. But as usual, Republicans will probably not make it easy. For sure. So that's the latest for now. We will be back after some ads. That is B O U Q S dot com, promo code WAD, BOOKS promo code WAD.
1: Now let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. Public health experts remain concerned that there could be an increase in COVID cases this spring based on trends observed in other countries. One notable place where COVID is on the rise is the UK, with daily case numbers now about twice what they were two weeks ago. UK health officials say many of the cases they are seeing are driven by the quick-spreading BA2 Omicron subvariant. They also attribute the spread to the removal of various COVID restrictions and to waning immunity from vaccines and infections. All this doesn't mean we need to panic here in the U.S. just yet. The BA2 subvariant is estimated to account for about 25-30% to of new cases here. That's according to White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci, who told ABC's This week yesterday that he doesn't expect a surge from BA2, though it is about 50 to 60% more transmissible than Omicron. Here's what else he had to say about the new subvariant.
0: So it does have an increased transmission capability. However, when you look at the cases, they do not appear to be any more severe and they do not appear to evade immune responses, either from vaccines or prior infections. Oh boy. I have to say, COVID, please go home. <laughs> the Security and Exchange Commission, or SEC, is expected to announce new guidelines today requiring U.S. companies to publicly disclose how they contribute to climate change, specifically how they contribute to greenhouse gas emissions, and how they themselves could be impacted by climate change in the near future. While some companies like Apple already disclosed their greenhouse gas emissions, there aren't any clear policies on whether or not they have to share this information to investors. These new guidelines are aimed at closing that gap and keeping investors informed about what climate risks come with the stocks they own, so that someone who owns a million shares in a company that makes, say, whale-killing machines, has to look at their personal impact and sustainability in addition to their short-term profits. This historic move by the SEC is part of a global effort to recognize climate change as a real economic threat worth preparing for, and these rule changes come after the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's recent report detailing how countries are not doing enough to combat global warming.
1: The one man who's done more for paternity tests as a concept than actual scientists Maury Povich is retiring after hosting 31 seasons of daytime television with his show, The Maury Povich Show, later known simply as Maury. This makes Povich, who is now 83 years old, the longest running daytime host in broadcast history, which, according to these results in front of me, makes him definitely the father of tacky daytime television. (laughs) (laughs) Network representatives confirmed yesterday that Maury will cease production when the current season ends in September in light of Povich's retirement. Don't panic, though. Reruns of the program will remain on air in syndication for those who simply need to watch someone yelling at their parents on mute while they wait their turn to get their teeth cleaned. Maury is just the latest daytime talk show Titan to take their leave in recent months, as the Wendy Williams show, Nick Cannon, and Ellen all have announced their imminent departures from the daytime lineup. Povich said of his retirement, quote, I'm so proud of my relationship with NBC Universal and all those who worked on the Maury show, but as I occasionally tell my guests on Maury, enough already.
0: Hmm. Maury. <laughs> End of an era, really. Yes. If The Voice, American Idol, and The Masked Singer have proven anything, it's one, every judging panel needs a Simon, and two, the only thing that can truly unite Americans is competitive singing. NBC debuts a new competitive singing show this week based on the famous Eurovision Song Contest, in which 40 European countries compete with original songs in a televised tournament. The Eurovision Song Contest, which began in 1956, has launched the careers of many European artists, including ABBA, who won the 1974 contest, and Celine Dion, who won in 1988. The American Song Contest, hosted by Snoop Dogg and Kelly Clarkson, will have representatives from 56 states, territories, and Washington, D.C., singing original songs, competing in live telecasts until the victor is determined. Like the United States themselves, the contestants are varied. While many will be new faces to viewers, some celebrities have offered themselves as tribute in NBC's Hunger Games. But for songs, New Haven native Michael Bolton will represent Connecticut. Mm. Jewel will represent her home state of Alaska and Cisco, better known as the guy who loves thongs, Mm, will sing mm. for Maryland. (laughs) Truly incredible. Truly incredible.
1: This is the perfect mix of people Mm -hmm. that would bring me back to like watching song competition shows.
0: Nine million percent. I have never thought of Michael Bolton, Jewel, and Cisco, even in the same day, much less (laughs) the same sentence. And I am thrilled thrilled to have them all on the same program this is gonna be phenomenal i cannot wait
1: and hosted by snoop dogg and our original american idol kelly clarkson like come on
0: come on i love it i'm ready
1: (laughs) and those are the headlines One more thing before we go. This week on Offline, John talks to technology reporter Taylor Lorenz about what journalism in our digital age requires of writers and media publications and her decision to move from the New York Times to the Washington Post. New episodes of Offline drop every Sunday wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, blast Siskel's thong song on repeat, mm-hmm, and tell your friends to listen.
0: And if you are into reading and not just life-changing paternity results on national television like me, What A Day <laughs> is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe. I'm Josie Duffy Rice.
1: I'm Travel Anderson. And, and you're, you're going, going down, down Florida. Florida.
0: Honestly, if Georgia doesn't win this, I'm protesting.
1: <laughs> I mean, what about California? I feel like we deserve a win at this point.
0: So you have every Hollywood win. You know what? <laughs> give it to someone in the Midwest or give it to Georgia. Give it to someone who nobody <laughs> really talks about, you know?
1: Rhode Island. Rhode
0: Island. You're right. <laughs>